The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Good morning. Today's passage is from Exodus chapter 14, verses 15 through 29. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I've gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire of cloud, of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea, The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed him into the sea, none of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Kyle. Well, um... I don't know if you followed the news some months ago when the Suez Canal was blocked. That was a wild thing, wasn't it? Did y'all see pictures of that? Hopefully, if you didn't get to hear it or see the photos of the Suez Canal, which is a a canal that runs through Egypt, actually connects to the Red Sea. the, uh, the, a giant ship, uh, ironically named the Ever Given, um, wedged itself, uh, there's all this, you know, debacle about how it happened, wedged itself and blocked the entire canal. Uh, and the pictures of it are, are really, those kind of events like that you see, it's just amazing, like, you just kind of look at this ship and you think, well, couldn't they just, you know, wedge it out somehow? I mean, it, it, it was not an easy thing. And uh, the, the amount of money that was being lost it said at one point, um, per hour, $400 million was lost an hour. Every hour that ship sat there. 
uh, blocking it. And, and you look at that and, and you think with all the, the cargo on it, well, what if you take the cargo? Well, you can't take cargo off. Well, what if you dig, you know, trenches and they're starting to dig in? Now, of course, they're talking about, well, we should probably widen this thing uh, because the ships we have are longer than it is wide. But it was an incredible thing because it, 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 became, it became a huge issue, something you'd think would be easy, but it blocked the way. And all these ships, I mean, they're funny things, like a whole cargo of, of, of people lost their um, yard gnomes. I don't know if you read about that one. That was, yard gnomes were supposed to come through that canal, and people did not get their yard gnomes. Um, that kind of stuff. Like things that people are wanting, but it was blocked. The way was blocked. Couldn't make it. You know, uh, the Red Sea event can be one of those things. We, we read it. Uh, even if you're here and you may not even consider yourself a Christian or watching online, you may be asking these questions. You may have heard of the Red Sea, you know, this big story of the sea parting and the people of Israel walking through. And it sounds like a sweet, sentimentalized, and it can be narrative. But when the Israelites told of this story, the number one way they proclaimed it to their children and that it carried on for centuries was that the way was blocked and God made a way. In fact, the Jesus Storybook Bible, which I love to read, I would recommend it to any of you who are wanting to read through the whole Bible and just kind of say, you know what, first I want to kind of grasp the whole narrative picture of what the scripture is saying. Love House has it says, the way was blocked, but God made a way. And, and, and as, as they think about this foremost event, the, the exodus actually is outside of what we as Christians discuss as the, the, the cross and the Lord Jesus resurrecting and that stuff. Outside of that event, this is the number one redemptive event in the whole Bible. It is considered the pinnacle of redemption in the Old Testament. It is that. In, in the Old and New Testament alone, this event, the Red Sea parting, the Exodus itself, where thousands of Israelites were brought out of slavery that were in slavery for four centuries, out of Egypt and into the wilderness. It, what an, a momentous event. And it's, it's proclaimed in the Old and New Testament over and over and over that the way was blocked, but God made a way. God made a way. He opened it up. And it would be passed down for centuries, centuries to come. What does the Red Sea show us? What is this, what has been made sentimentalized, which is not, a real event mean for us in reality that so many of us encounter, that we have a life where things are going on, you know? Uh, many are coming in here with, be it, be it uh, job issues, Health issues, marital issues, friendship issues, loneliness. I mean, there's so many things that we could talk about. And we ask the question, and I think we need to, is, is what I experience right now is real going on in my life? The real things that, oh God, the day-to-day. -day, what am I getting? I got this to do tomorrow that's be at a class, be at work, you've got these things lined up for this week. The real things, how in the world does the Red Sea parting connect to our real life today? There was a song um, that is right after this chapter of 14 
in chapter 15, and, and it begins this way. It's perfectly put for a, a music city itself. The first three verses of chapter 15 is Moses who penned the song. This is the first song in the Bible. Songwriter Moses wrote this. I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. And for our picture of these several chapters of the Red Sea, 13 through 15, we're gonna actually borrow from Moses' song for our kind of two points. And the first one is, the Lord is my strength. And the second one is, the Lord is my song. He is my strength and my song. You know, when um, Moses, uh, you know, when you read this passage and you read even in Moses' song, one of the things that's repetitive over and over is that God will have glory over Pharaoh. In this passage, you saw it a number of times. Verse 17, and I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will, shall go in after them and I will get glory over Pharaoh. Verse 18, when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen. You know, when we read these accounts and it's easy as I was just even saying that glory over Pharaoh, he had just brought them out. The Passover happened right before this where the, the Israelites were told to kill a lamb, slaughter it, and put blood on the doorpost. The Lord would pass over those as the whole land, the firstborn, be it beast or man, the firstborn would be struck down. But if the Lord saw that blood, he would pass over the house. And it would be that night that they would have to eat this bread that had no leaven in it. And the reason is because they had to fasten their belts. They had to eat the bread because they didn't have time to bake it all. They had to eat it and take off and leave. And they were in the wilderness. Well, not much long later, Pharaoh, as it says, comes to his senses and realizes, I've lost my entire labor force for this. I'm not doing it. And he gets everybody to go after him. And they find themselves in a position where they hear this over and over, that God is going to deliver them. I'm going to have glory over Pharaoh. But they don't. It's easy for us to read it in this narrative, especially biblical narrative or any history, really. When you read history and we're on this side of it to say, we know what's going to happen. They had no idea. They had no idea. They had no idea how God was going to have this glory over Pharaoh. They didn't know. And they could not save themselves. They could not do a thing about it. And over and over, it's interesting, why does it mention chariots and horsemen? Did you notice that? It's like, it's like let's talk about these chariots and horsemen. And in, in the song um, that uh, Moses writes, it, the, the refrain over and over is, I will sing to the Lord, he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The, the chariot and the horsemen, this was a military might. In fact, Egypt at that time was at such a high um, place of military might. The greatest stri mobile striking unit that they had were these chariots. And what it's trying to build up to us is to understand there is this incredible army with everything behind them. And then there are the people of Israel. And they were not freedom fighters. This is not one of those stories. 
They were, not, they were not peasants rising up. They were not, this wasn't a slave revolt. Moses was not leading a slave revolt. This was them as helpless as they could be. The way was blocked. How in the world were they going to get away? Um, I remember going to uh, Scotland uh, some years ago, and um, I love Scotland. I love history. I love William Wallace, those kind of things. You know, some of you know my one of my top three, probably my favorite movie is Braveheart. And um, there's, I, as I was reading and studying on this, that, that, that Scottish peasants, they were rising up to fight the English, right? It was like freedom, you know, we all have William Wallace and that movie and, you know, freedom and all those things that cry out, it's awesome. But some of that reality, one of the biggest things was that this group of somewhat freedom fighters came up and defeated like major armies, uh, you know, th- there's this one battle, um, the Stir- Battle of Stirling, where the English army has their entire cavalry coming towards these guys with basically pitchforks and some swords and some axes and those kind of just random things. And they are coming and coming and coming. And William Wallace was a genius because he thought, okay, I'm going to use their strength against them. So they developed this thing called the Shiltron. And what happened was, and if you've seen the movie, you've probably seen this, there are a number of spears that they laid on the ground covered up that you couldn't see. So as the cavalry charged, 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 they just, every moment, and at the very last minute, they pick up all the spears and create this wall of spears that, that would impale all of the, the cavalry. And they ended up winning this battle that there was no chance they had to win. You know, you, you, read, you hear things like that in history that are amazing and, and developed and, and those kind of things. And, and you read the Red Sea and you go, okay, what's going on here? There was nothing like that. They had nothing. There was no strategy. The strategy was God telling them, go this way. And they realized there's mountains over here, there's sea over here, and here comes Egypt. What in the world are we gonna do? They start crying out. They had no chance in fact, the Jewish historian Josephus, who was um, just after Jesus, said this about, he said, the Israelites had nothing but destruction before their eyes. Nothing but destruction. And here is the answer. Simply the Lord says, in verses 13 and 14, right before the passage we read in chapter 14, it says this. It says, and Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. Does that sound like something that would make you comfortable? (laughs) Only to be silent as you just watch the greatest mobile striking unit on the planet bearing down on you. And yet this is the strategy. This is how it works. God's strategy, his way of making the way possible is different than any other. This is why Moses says, you are my strength. And that is kind of a strange thing sometimes we talk about, we sing it. Maybe if you've been in church for a while, you, you hear the language of God is my strength. What does that really mean? What does it really mean that he is my strength? It means that there is no way that we can add to it. It means we have none. 
It means there's no amount of my strength, your strength. There's no part. There's no part of what the Israelites could do. God didn't say, you need to do this, and this will help you and help me take care of the Egypt. There was no part in that. It was all his hand, all God's hand, and none of theirs. All his strength and all their weakness. And that is one of the most uncomfortable things you can read or experience. And, and, And it really comes to this simple idea. What does the Red Sea have to do with us? It has to do with the fact that God alone saves. One of the the oldest things maybe you've heard, or maybe one of the things you're like, really? God alone saves. And to the degree that we often work, and I know this fully for myself, to try and add some to his strength for my own salvation, or to hold on to my salvation with my own strength, is how much we miss it. Because the Red Sea event was to put them in a position to say, the way is blocked, there is no way through. Only God can make a way, only. The simple truth of only God's hand can do it. I mean, when he brought him to the edge of the sea, there's language here that's used in the, he's, that's beautiful in this passage. And it's actually the same language used in Genesis in the creation account. It's the same language. And the Hebrew for actually splitting the sea was that hands were on it and it was torn. It was almost like a tearing open. And what God is showing again over and over, not just with the water, because it's easy to look at that. And there have been some who've tried to explain this. And and yes, there have been... uh, times to look at, is it Red Sea, Reed Sea? Some of you may have read that or may say that in your study Bible. It could have been named a little differently, but what we do know about this, it's not explained away as in a shallow area where the chariots got clogged up. But that the, the words being described here of the walls on either side are actually architectural terms for city walls. That the thousands and thousands of eyewitnesses, both as Egyptians and Israelites, seeing the walls there, knew exactly what was happening. And in many myths before, even Egyptian myths, some of the issues have been creation stories where, in, in religions where one god is fighting another god. And some have, have discussed that. Some have said, okay, is this just borrowing from some of those things where, but those creation stories, if you look at especially Egyptian creation stories, they're gods fighting each other and that's how things are made. This is one God fighting an army, the Egyptian army. And a countless host witness it. And they can do nothing but walk through a path of dry land, squishy under their feet, I'm sure it would be, in complete awe of what's around them. It doesn't give us the description of them kind of looking. You know, there've been all movies uh, over the years, be them cartoons or not, that have tried to describe what would it be like to pass through this sea that has literally been torn with God's hands open in a sense as this breeze came through and pushed the water apart. But the question really comes, and we're going to sing about it in a little bit, how mighty is God to save? 
How mighty is he? How much of your strength do you still even, as if you would claim to be a Christian, put into trying to save yourself? Your own strength. How much do you think you're stronger? I, I, I will tell you in, in, in complete honesty, there are moments where I look at myself and I think, how am I doing today based on this or that? I remember going to, to uh, man, gosh, going to events where uh, pretty soon General Assembly is coming up, which is the gathering of thousands of pastors from our denomination all across the United States meet in one city and work on business and talk about things which y'all are so, it'd be so exciting for you to attend. But I just remember, I remember going to those kind of events and walking in and thinking, where am I in relation to that guy? What's my church like? And those little moments where you begin to kind of try and build a little wall or fortress up of what makes you feel strong. What puts you one up, one down from somebody else? Could be a job, it could be anything else. What are the ways that you add it all to your salvation that God alone can say? Only he can say. One of my, uh, we've been trying, I've been, Megan and I were um, trying to get our kids to watch this. Have you ever heard of, I've mentioned this before. I have to mention it again. It just comes to my brain because it's such a good picture of this. World's Strongest Man. Have you ever heard of this competition? Uh, There's a competition where these people gather at one location and they are the largest, strongest people. And they, you know, their names are like Magnus, Vermagnuson, that kind of stuff. Exactly what you would think. I used to host it on ESPN. Now, I don't know how, you know, if they've kept up with it, but the, the older ones, you know, like in the 70s and 80s where they had like the cool short shorts and these guys' legs were like, you know, twice as big and, you know, they had, you know, the hair kind of like mine and like a band, but they were massive. And they would literally like squat people and stuff or they'd put like, you know, a Volkswagen uh, on like, two sides of a pole and they'd have to squat it or they'd have to lift. I mean, it's just crazy stuff like that. There was one where they lined up where um, they had to run a 50-yard dash with a refrigerator on their back, which, you know, that makes sense. And this guy's, they start and the British announcer is announcing it because it's somewhere, I don't know, across in Europe. And they're running, 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 and uh, these guys, and, and all of a sudden you hear this, oh, oh, and the guy has stepped and his knee just goes the other way. Yeah. Well, then he says, oh, oh, wait, wait, he's still going. And the guy's literally dragging this like limp thing with a refrigerator on his back. He crosses the line. I mean, we're just, wait, you know, that's awesome. Uh, but it, it makes me think, often of how you think that is just why 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 that is so often what we tend to do we just read in our confession earlier about our sins are too real too heavy to carry too real to hide the real things that we deal with that are heavy that are real things that are too heavy to carry and yet we try to do it We are masterful at it. It's almost like when we were younger, some of you may be in middle school now, but just so you know, middle schoolers to encourage you, we are all recovering from middle school. We're all like 
really good middle schoolers because we know how to play to our strengths and weaknesses really well. And we do it in the way we talk. And we do it in the when we, in, in, but yet still after every conversation or time we're to get together with people, we have to debrief and figure out, what did I say something that was really dumb? What am I, how do we look? How do we feel, right? We're always working on our strength. This is saying to you, stop, be silent, be still. It is one of the most simple yet most difficult things that we are told to understand. When it comes to our salvation, when it comes to who we are before the Lord, we can do nothing but bring ourselves helpless. It's like what the story of a great seminary professor who was asked, he said, hey, when you get to heaven and you get a chance to ask God a question, what's the question you're going to ask him? What, do you, what is it? And he, the person asking him was saying, gosh, I'd love to, to know what, what he's going to say. And all he could say back was, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's the one thing I don't understand. God makes a way. And you know how he does this? He does this by his own hands to not look at where we can better ourselves. As we sang, fitness, if you, if you, if you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Look, the, the Egyptians here, uh, the, the Israelites here being brought out of Egypt, they would be brought out of Egypt. But they would, they would what? Egypt may have been brought, they may have been brought out of Egypt, but Egypt was still in them. They would continue to struggle with this. This isn't the end of the road. The, the Exodus, says they brought through the sea, and this says, the Lord is my strength and my song. Why song? Why does this first song written, the first songwriter, Moses, writes this song in the Bible? And anytime in the Bible a song is written, it actually talks about the character of God. Because what would happen? This event would happen. They would pass through the sea. The uh, just marvelous, overwhelming nature of passing through the halves of the sea and watching the enemy be overwhelmed. And then yet, years would go by. And they would forget. And they wouldn't remember, right? Because our memories fade. Why a song? Why does Moses write this? Because it be makes their theology portable. It makes the memory remember. It keeps it there. Songs existed to carry it on further years and years and years because just like us, we are in the wilderness and we are dealing with real things every day. Even on the drive here, who's screaming in the car? Gosh, the person I'm behind, why aren't they driving faster? Is it gonna rain today? Like all those questions, even I'm asking, I'm like, who's gonna come to church today? Because it's gonna rain. I wonder if anybody will come. You know, you, you ask all those questions, the reality. How does it connect? How do we know right now? Is this Red Sea that happened maybe for them in those years real for us now? Because this is really what I'm dealing with right now. What, is, what does Moses say? He writes a song. And it's carried out. And even in this passage, it's, it's repeated because our memories grow dim. And we forget, we leave these doors just because we were even in here doesn't mean we're remembering that the good news of the gospel is good over us, but the promises are there. 
And we need to have the song. The Lord is my song because he reminds me. Even medical research says this about music, and especially living in Music City where, I mean, I don't know if you know, there's like, how many songs a year are pumped out? It's like six, 666,000, something like some crazy number of songs that are written a year that are not actually published. Some wild number. All these songs that are put, why? Why is music such an influence in our lives? Because it sticks with us. Why do we have, when we went through school or you're in school right now, when you had to memorize something, what did you do? You put it to a tune, right? Because you remember it. I don't know why Jingle Bells was always the same tune for everything, but it always worked, right? For whatever vocab words you're using or whatever story you were trying to remember or historical points, what, music captures the memory. And even medical researchers say, even in recent studies, that if you play someone's favorite music, even those who are dealing with dementia or Alzheimer's, it actually lights up particular parts of their brain that are in inactivity. Because it, it brings out, as they said, emotion, emotional memories that are real, that are part of their life. And it makes it portable. It carries it with them. So that years down the line, when they're wandering through the wilderness for years, long after that event, how do they remember God's promises? Because the event drove their teaching. You know what the number one thing that's different with Christianity than anything else is that the events drive the teachings. Most philosophies, religion, it it actually is the other way around. The teachings drive the events. Here's what we should say about God and who he is. And, you know, that's how this movement goes forward. But what happens here is what we're seeing is that God enters into space and time in reality and the event drives their teaching so that they can stick with them. So it stays with them. It's portable. They're delivered from slavery, but the slavery is still in them. How do they remember in the reality of day to day that God's promises are true? When Moses sang this song and he wrote it, he said this, and I love how he puts this. In verse two of chapter 15, he says, after he says, the Lord is my strength and my song, he has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. Notice the the possessive pronouns in there of mine and not just my God but my father's God do you know what he's claiming he's hearkening back to thousands of years even before him when God would come to Abraham and bring a promise that his people would number more than the stars in the sky or the sand on the shore and that they would toil and labor in a land that was not their own until they were brought out It was long before Moses walked on the earth. What Moses is recalling and embedding into this song is that God's promises are real and true and they may not be on our timing and they are not efficient to what we herald and love and what we find strong in our culture as efficiency, right? To us, strength is efficiency. It's getting it done, it's being done. God doesn't operate on that time. And that is what's so hard. But he always delivers. And he has made a way. And he continues to remind us that the events that he has done in this first exodus and what would become the second exodus connect to us now. 
In fact, if you skip all the way to the, the, Exodus is the second book of the Bible. If you skip all the way to the end, to Revelation, chapter 15, the last book of the Bible, there's a chapter and a section in verse three and four of chapter 15 of Revelation that's called this, the Song of Moses and the Song of the Lamb. Listen to this. And they sing the song of Moses. This is in Revelation, long after Moses, long after even Jesus. The servant of God and they, the song of the Lamb saying, great and amazing are your deeds. O Lord God, the Almighty, just and true are your ways. O King of the nations, who will not fear the Lord and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you for your righteous acts have been revealed. Song of Moses and the Song of the Lamb, both together in conjunction to say, spanning, as we even said, the past, the present, the future of the Exodus, what it is, it's ours. See, this Exodus was pointing to a, a greater one, even bigger one that was to come. And it was one that's even shown at this table. In Luke chapter nine, it talks about how Jesus became transfigured before his disciples. And his disciples actually saw Moses and Elijah standing with him up on this mountain. And then in Luke's account, it actually says that Jesus explains to Elijah and Moses that there's a new exodus coming. He actually uses the exact same word, exodus. That Moses was singing and would even speak and sing about the one he was looking forward, not just to that exodus, but the one that would be the great exodus that nothing would block the way. Nothing. The first exodus points to the greater one. And this conversation that, that Jesus is having with Moses points to the table, the promises that you and I get to taste in the wilderness, the taste of where we are. So that we're reminded that his promises long ago that brought them through that sea, that connected to the even greater exodus, to the event that we come and celebrate on every Sunday. You know why we worship on Sundays? The reason we worship on Sunday is because this is the day that Jesus rose from the grave. So that worship is put on this Sunday so that we're constantly celebrating and being reminded that what is the promise that we stand on? How has the way been opened up to even life itself? Not just the sea, but even death itself has turned backwards because of what this greater Moses in Jesus has done for us. And you get to taste his body and you get to taste his blood and be reminded the bread and the juice is your promise. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And what do we say? If he has done this and he has fulfilled it, he will come again. Praise be to God for his true Moses. Let's stand together.